Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. The new North Texas Soccer Club away jersey is now available. Soccer90, 20% off with code Third Degree. As always, North Texas Soccer Club, FC Dallas, international gear, U.S. national team gear, all that stuff. Soccer90.com, code Third Degree. Check it out. Some exclusions apply. The North Texas jersey, not an exclusion. Get your swag. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to episode number 202 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it is me, Peter. And today we are without one Dan Crook. Not quite sure. I think he's having his beard untangled. Yeah. I think that's what it is. So today it is, sorry, you're just stuck with us originals. Me and the good editor-founder of thirddegree.net, Buzz Carrick, come in Buzz. Yeah, Peter, this just became the oldest podcast in the history of the Dallas Burn. Yeah. Between <laughs> you and I. Yes. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. We are the OGs, no doubt about it. Uh, well, Buzz, we now have one win, one loss, and one tie as Dallas hits the road for the very first time and the burn end up getting a 1-1 result against the Whitecaps. And uh, I, mm, I, here's the thing. I, I, I don't know how to feel about this particular form. It's burn, a, a buzz because I know getting a point on the road is always never anything to uh, shake your fist at, but I couldn't help but come away feeling a little disappointed that the team didn't try harder for the win at the end of the game. Well, I think you can feel good about it because um, it's not just, of course, that it's a road point. It's also on turf. It's also against a team that wants to mid to low block and then play a fairly direct counter. The things that Dallas struggles with both, that's when the the teams are most vulnerable to play that way, uh, offensively and defensively both. Uh, I think you can also consider that it's the first road game of the year. So there's a certain amount of cohesion of the team and mentality of the team for it to be the first road game was good. Um, so I actually am pretty pleased with it overall. Uh, so was Coach Estevez when I talked to him about it. I mean, obviously it's not a glorious moment to be rain sunshine on everybody, but it definitely is a more positive than negative in the sense of um, all the things that made, made it a difficult game historically and even recently historically for FC Dallas. All right, so I'm just being a stinky poo head for being a little frustrated that they didn't seem very in- uh, uh, motivated to get the ball restarted with injury time and maybe yeah. push for the goal? Well, I, I think that the shift to the three four three was an attempt to um, take advantage of some of the things that were working and, and, so, and it worked some and it didn't work some. Um, uh, the bigger the bigger positives, I think, are, the, are control of the game. You know, this yeah. is a coach that wants to clamp it down and hold on to it. You know, and, and I think uh, I felt watching it that there was not very much danger coming from Vancouver. I didn't feel so. I felt like, okay, you, you know, r- this road mentality that this coach wants is this to control, you know, and to and to lock it down. And they they really did that. Um, I think that there'll be some individual moments that people will lament, but I don't think that uh, under this coach you're ever going to see them throw caution to the wind and just go for it completely. I'm sure that bringing on a guy like o- Obreon was an attempt to try and take advantage of. Um, the fact that Vancouver doesn't play a complete low block, they play a sort of middish block, 
and they do they did want to come at Dallas to try and get the goal back. So there was some expectation perhaps that they could get in behind them and try and take advantage. Um, you know, granted, still not enough uh, opportunities at shots. Um, Eleven shots on the road is is okay. That's not great, but it's okay. You know, at home that's a little too low, but. Um, not quite the shots on goal really is the, probably the thing I would look at as more still slightly concerning is that there's been a couple of games now where you're only in it with maybe two or one shot on goal of 11 when you want, again, with this team, you want more like 50%. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not a game where we're going to walk away and go, oh, this team's money, but it's definitely a, a moment of relative positivity. I, I'm interested. You mentioned the, the fact that the game was on turf as they are in Vancouver. And and I know that maybe Estevez mentioned that, and I know that you've talked to some of the players about it before, but I do wonder, and I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to any of the players uh, today when you were at training specifically about this, but do we, do we regularly hear from the players themselves that having to play on a turf surface is a, a fundamental change or an obstacle or a difficulty for them? You know, people like Paxton have said that they're quite used to it. The younger generation is quite used to it because they grew up doing it. I still think, you know, based on my own experiences playing and what I witnessed with my own eyes, that the ball does bounce a little differently on turf. Even the really good turf, it still is not quite the same as grass and dirt. Um, you know, I, I, I talked to Paul for just a couple quick, quick seconds just to ask him about the turf and how he was holding up, and he kind of grimaced a little bit. You know, and that's where I think it hurts Dallas the most is when you have a couple of older players, um, you know, and, and maybe even Martinez partially perhaps didn't start because of the turf, you know, because of the fact that it beats you up, because of the fact the ball runs more and, and, the, and the team you're playing is a team that runs more. You know, all that factors into um, – and some of it is just comfort. Some of it is that Vancouver plays on that field all the time. And so maybe it's not significant, but – you know, little things can make a difference at, at this level and, and Dallas not being used to it. It's just another factor into why it's not a game they're going to feel comfortable, you know? Yeah. That, and that probably is the, another good place to get into is that's the one significant difference of this particular game is we're now three games in and Nico now has started three different duos at center back. This being the first time with Tafari and Ibby uh, as the pairing. And I was wondering what your thoughts about that were. Well, coach said that uh, it wasn't like an outright plan that he was going to get through all three of his rotations, but it did kind of work out that way, you know, and, and they also do do that in training a lot too, to try and get all those guys continuing to work together. Uh, I thought um, Nikosi Tafari was phenomenal. I thought he was maybe the best game he's ever played. And I don't, and I don't mean that in terms of like, you can look at numbers. A lot of what Nikosi's happening with him right now for me is the, is subtle stuff. Maybe it shows up a lot in how he carries himself. You know, his presence, his uh, touch on the ball has calmed down. His passing on the back has improved. But even just like his aura and his demeanor are ones that like when the ball is coming to him, it's like, okay, good. No, I feel good about this. Like, I don't feel like he's about to get burned. I don't feel like he's about to make a mistake. Watching him in training, the mm-hmm. way he carries himself this year, even compared to last year, there's definitely been a step forward in that. And, and coach and I had a little conversation about that too. And he talked about Nikosi being in this moment where he's, his self belief has really come into himself, you know, and where he really feels good. Like I really can do this at this level. And he's changed the way he d- handles himself in games. And, he, and coach said, even off game off, off the field and not just off the field in terms of in training, but off the field in terms of like his life, you know, the guy's really dialed in and knows he can now do it and feels really confident. And I think you can see that, and the way he plays. And so watching him and Ibiaga play together, 
I now feel like it's like it's it's Nikosi and whoever like that he's now taking control of the, the defense in a lot of ways with the, the way he carries himself and the way he plays. And I think you're going to see you'll still see some changes in that that group because you don't want to have two guys play all 34 games. You're going to see an adaptation between perhaps Ibiaga, perhaps Martinez, perhaps even that other combo completely based on who you're going against. This game, I think, lends itself to Ibiaga in the sense of Vancouver wants to sit middle or, or low and then encounter quickly, play very direct, uh, very physical team, very kind of the team that wants to play some over the top more than other teams. That lends itself to the, the pairing that you saw. And I thought that combo worked really well. I, you know, going forward, Ibiaga was a real presence and so was Nikosi. There was one or two overloads when Vancouver was firing a lot of balls in it. And I actually think three, going three at the back late actually helped that a little bit. You know, and the goal they gave up is when they a guy overlapped from the back and didn't get quite tracked well enough. And maybe that's perhaps not Paul Ariel you want on that guy, but also it was an own goal. It wasn't even really from them that it went in. So um, overall, I felt this was a really phenomenal defensive performance, and I thought the two center backs were a big part of that. Both those guys were phenomenal, I thought. All right, so of the three, which does Buzz Carrick want to see on a repeated or maybe on regular basis? Or do you know yet? Yeah, the only one I'm locked into is Nikosi. I, you know, I, I think that's probably clear from what I was just saying. In the sense that, like, I think it's now almost his back line in a, in a sense where he's become the guy in terms of the way he's conducting himself and kind of controlling the game. Um, I, I still don't think uh, Ibiaga is a hundred percent like a guy I want starting every game in the sense that I think I, I'm gonna he's gonna take me forward. But I also feel like Martinez still has a big drop off. You know, as games go on, he fades hard, in my opinion. So I think I'm okay with the other two guys taking turns based on various tactical methods. And depending on who you play, you might even see them those two paired together still. You know, I don't think there's going to be a definitive pairing. Um, I still think that if I'm talking about really competing at the very top of this league, then you need something other than Nikosi and, and those two guys. I think you need another guy. And I, I would prefer it to be somebody that can play, if you can't find a lefty that can just straight up take over Martinez's spot, then a righty that can let Nikosi play left, because Nikosi can do left. He's not great great at it, like as quite as good as he as at right, but, you know, so I'm still definitely in the Nikosi plus something, and maybe we still have to get somebody uh, around here in, in the summer, perhaps. But for now, I think it's just going to be a variety of rotations based on who you're playing. Uh, sticking with the back line, because the other thing that happened in this game is we saw the uh, debut of, am I pronouncing this correct? Junkwa? Junka, yeah. Junka? Is it yeah. Junka? Not junk? It's not junk. It's Junka, <laughs> it's Junka, and something Yunka. like that. Okay. Sam, yeah. Yeah, we got to see the a, a few minutes of that young man, uh, and we got a whole lot more of Emma this week, and I feel like after the last game and the win, we were all kind of feeling a little better about Emma, but I'm kind of back to like, I'm ready for uh, <laughs> Geovane Jesus to, uh, to get us started right back at this point. I don't know if you're with me on that, Buzz. Uh, by the way, while, while you were doing that, I Googled the actual press release, and they, and FC Dallas says Junka, but I, I think it's Junka. Uh, but, you know, whichever way you want to go is probably pretty close. Man, if I had an opportunity yeah. to say my last name had the word junk in it, I would totally, <laughs> I would do that. So, Peter uh, Junk Welton. That's yeah. right. Hey, uh, yeah. My name is Sam Junk, <laughs> and uh, you're just going to like it. All right. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. So, Ima Tomasi. Yeah, I, I thought he took a step back in this game um, compared to the game before where I thought he was really good, but I'm not, I'm not to the point yet where I'm saying um, 
Giovanni Jesus Jesus should start. Um, really, I I I would be okay if he started, but I'm not to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, for sure start him. Because the thing to understand, um, in my opinion, about this team, and I think Coach would echo this because I've talked to him about it some. The key to the defensive stability of this team is what I would call the W that they play defensively. You know, whether they're sitting back or whether when they start to go forward, it's the left back, the center back, the six, the other center back, and the right back. When they have the possession, it looks like a W. Mm-hmm. Um, and that framework and that stability is really important. Like you can go back to um, Coach Pereja and, and Coach Luchi Gonzalez. Both those guys liked the modern flying attacking outside back. Oscar was of the opinion that one would go and one would stay back and they would sort of take turns. And Lucci was like, both of them can go anytime they want to. But this coach doesn't like that. He traded Ryan Hollingshead. He's using Tomasi, not like Brian Reynolds with that down the line. He's using him in that stable W. So that, that cohesion and that shape is the most important factor, I think, for this coach. And Giovanni doesn't know that yet. He hasn't been here long enough to have that dialed in. Now, the kid is very, very useful coming in late in games when you try and want to get a guy to actually get forward much more aggressively and get a spark going. So I think uh, he would push to Amashi in the short term. And as the season goes on, and he's been here for maybe a month, maybe two months, he'll start to figure out that cohesiveness and that, and that shape. And once he gets that locked in, then he'll be a legit candidate to be like, okay, now I can start him perhaps. So he's not there yet in terms of that. He's there yet in terms of a very t- useful tool. And if Ema were hurt or something, I'd be 100% ready to try him because he does do some things that are really exciting. After the first game, I was ready to try Jesus. Jesus and then even the second game was really good. So I was like, okay, no, we can wait a little bit. So um, I, I think over the course of the season, uh, Giovanni's role will change a lot once he gets that shape dialed in. Because with, if you don't have that, um, that's why, like, Far Par Family, the other side played every single game and almost every single minute last year because there wasn't anybody else that understood it. And it's why Parker yet isn't ready because he doesn't get it either. And then went to Junko, who's a guy who does get that because he's been in the league a little bit, more of a journeyman probably kind of guy. So that's where we are in that. I don't, I don't think it'll be anytime soon you'll see Giovanni start over Emma. Um, I just, I just yeah. feel like Emma is too slow on the ball and decision making and part of what grinds this thing to a halt in a mid-low block op- uh, opponent yeah. is they f- they give him the ball and he just dwa- he just won't play a forward ball into space and he ends up almost 99% of the time playing the ball backwards or laterally and i just and yeah. that, that's where i just get hung up on him in his position and i and now that we're well into the second season of this i if we've got an opportunity to see something different but that's just me so i i think you're totally fair to say that and sometimes Tuomasi definitely defuses the attack going forward i just think that this coach would always take the defensive side over the offensive yeah, side probably. you know whereas yeah. lucci was asked to sacrifice defense for offense this one's the complete opposite yeah. Okay. Uh, in the midfield, I, I I was a little concerned towards the end of the game when the the substitutions were made because both uh, 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 Paul Ariola and uh, Legit came off looking a little hobbled, a little uh, this or that. Yeah. Neither one of them had a very <laughs> particularly a, a good performance, and so I'm wondering: a what, is there an injury report on either one of them, and b is there anything about their performance that Maybe uh, was worth sacri- you know, uh, uh, praising, or it w- 
or how did you feel about him? Well, Legit um, had a really great game against the Galaxy, and you know sometimes you you can get a little fall off when you have a, a really great game like that. Legit's also thirty. And I know we talk about that age a lot, but he did have a couple of knocks in spring training, and like he he wasn't able to play in like most of the games in spring training. So he's been you know in game one they had a minute limitation on him, and then they've been trying to push it up and push it up. I still think when I watch him in train and watch him in the game that he's not quite moving like he did last year. He doesn't quite have the range. He looks a little stiff. You know, I'm hoping that that'll play in over time, you know, that that'll get better over the course of the season. Now, again, on turf, that's not a great environment for that. You know, it's kind of the ground hits harder. Every step is a harder bang on your body when you're running, you know. So I wasn't surprised that he kind of was not feeling really great about that. Areola, I think just same thing. I think, you know, just – Wear and tear coming out of the still early in the season, a little bit of a turf, a little bit of tough sledding against a team that wants to play that mid to low block. You know, I, I, he looked a little limpy coming off in training today though. He was fine. Uh, he, he was looking very normal and running very normally. Unlike to me, like legit to my eye test, I still am like, boy, there's something quite slightly off there, but I didn't feel that way about Paul. So I, I think, I think both of them are technically fine. You know, just I think once you hit 30, and, you know, Peter, you and I are way past 30, so you know, your recovery slows Thanks, down. Thanks, Buzz, for reminding me that. Yeah. I just, you know, I think about even when I was in my mid-30s trying to play, you know, rec soccer and getting banged up. And, like, for a couple of days, you're, like, stiff. So imagine doing that at a pro level. You know, so I think Legette's just probably feeling a little bit of that. You know, it's just like he's still not 100%. There's a difference between being cleared and healthy and actually being like legitimately 100%. Sure. You know what I mean? So I, I, I kind of think that's what's going on with Legette. I hope that's all it is, and he'll just play into it over time. But Paul, I think, is fine. So. Uh, all right. Well, so that's good. Hopefully they're both back uh, for this particular weekend. Any other takeaways from the performance uh, in the draw against Vancouver that worried you or uh, gave you hope or made you feel good about the state of the team after three games? Just in general, the defensive performance was phenomenal. Uh, Marco Farfan just put in a massive, massive shift because on his side, Velasco still plays false wing-ish, you know, inside more than out. That clears, like, the whole line for uh, Farfan, so he has to do more running than Tuomasi does on the other side. So I just thought he just put in a massive effort, you know, up and down the field. Uh, and when he subbed off, I, you know, even mentioned how good I thought he was. You know, if, if someone would have picked him for their man of the match, I would have been like, yeah, that that's a fair shake because he was, you know, re- really good. I think it's still for me, Nikosi. Um, and then over – and then even though we already talked about center backs a lot, I just thought Ibiaga was pretty dang good. Um, you know, compared to where he is in my mindset, there's still some things I'm not 100% loving, but I thought that combo against that team worked really well. Um, the other thing is that I, I want to give Edwin Surreal a little love because he is quite clearly significantly and aggressively attempting to be a more progressive passer. It's uh, You can see it in the mid to long range passing. And coach, I talked to coach about that today, and he said statistically it's showing up. So he gets an A for effort, but what grade yeah. do you give him for execution? For Edwin? Yeah. I'll give him a B. Okay. You, you know, he's never going to be Jao Paulo. He's never going to be like this game-breaking elite passer. But, you know, you can you could get him to become a better-than-average six because he has the he has the work rate and the range, and he has the defensive ability. You know, he, he last year his big step forward was the progressive dribble when he would move away from pressure. This year they sat him down and said, okay, we want you to see you work on the progressive passing. And he's clearly done that. I thought in this game he was a little too aggressive about it because he made a couple of turnovers in the front 
end, but this, this, he still ends up the, like the last two games, he's had the most progressive passes in the final third. So hmm. there's a definite progression from him. And granted, Faku is a little banged up. He forgot Faku did train today, by the way, so he's in the mix. But I think Evans playing well enough that he right now he's got that job pretty on lock. And so credit to a kid who we've talked about this before. Every single year he's gotten a little bit better, taking a step forward. What's the next thing? Here's what you need to work on, and he does it. You know, he's never going to be a million dollar, five million dollar player, but he could be a above average six. And if you can. If you can have an American, we've talked about this for years, Peter. If you can have an American six and center back and not have to use foreign spots in those positions, uh, foreign money in those positions, so huge for your ability to build a good team. So, um, you know, again, Edwin's still got a ways to go, but I, I love the progression that I'm seeing from him, even though in this game he was a little too aggressive because it was a road game, but uh, that's a fine line. And he's trying really hard to get better, and he is getting better. Okay. Uh, where are you? Where is the temperature, the buzz temperature gauge on Velasco three games into this new season? It's okay. I feel like I did about the end of last year. You know, I, there's some things I'd like to see him do better, but um, they're not too concerning. You know, usually it's it, the parts where I want to see him make a big step or when he beats that first guy and he gets to the second one. Sometimes there's a choice to be made about now's the time to lay it off versus I'm going to try and make one more beat and get my shot off. You know, he he wants to come inside because he's more of a right footed shooter. So he keeps trying to go right, right, right. And they just push him all the way around the thing. So there's a point at which like get by that first guy, there needs to be a far fan overlap or needs to be a Jesus combo. Maybe make a couple of different decisions in that moment, not just always go for the shot. So that's a that's a maturity as a player that I'd like to see him do, but so much of it is so good. I don't I don't have any, that's not a big complaint. That's just a okay. Where's the next phase of your progression kind of thought for him? I don't I I think right now he's fine where he is. The Dallas offense needs to uh, as a group needs to create a little more opportunities, and that's kind of the things that are not happening. Is like we're not getting that extra pass in the box that needs to happen. You know, like you're ending up with guys having to try and take a dude on rather than just being receiving the ball in a place they can one touch and shoot kind of, which is where they're at their best. All right. So uh, first successful road trip in the books. So Saturday uh, comes up a home game. Wow. Three home games in the first four games. That's not going to bode well towards the end of the season. As it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and it's against Kansas city. And so I was just trying to figure that I should have pulled this up before I started. Kansas city is currently uh, wallowing down in 10th place. They mm. have uh, tied once and lost a game. They've yet to win a game. So uh, what are any particular thoughts or predictions going into this on line lineups or who the center back pairing may be? Yeah, the, the, the only real concerns are, you know, that center back pairing. And then, you know, up until now, I would have thought, you know, Facundo and Edwin, but with Facundo being... He's back in training, but he did rotate out a, a little bit. You know, probably they had Carl Siante, who's the six for the North Texas, was up also in order to have Facundo not have a massive load. So I'm, sh- I think Edwin's basically a lock for this game. The center back combo, I think you're actually probably going to see Martinez back. Um, you know, the game's at home; it's on the grass. They'll they'll want to slow it down. They'll want to play out of the back. You know, more confidently. Um, Tafari and, and, and Martinez is a better build-out group than Ibiaga is, uh, mainly because Martinez is a better passer than Ibiaga. 
Um, not by a long shot, but he is better. You know, you're, you're not looking at a team that's going to counterattack quite so much, you know, because of the, the Kansas City will want to try and play with you, you know, and, and that's something that Dallas actually does better with. And then the only questions are going to be beyond that is like, um, you know, did Legette or Paul Hill actually have a real knock coming out of that game? Based on training, I think they're fine. But, you know, you never know. This coach likes to do – you know, uh, management of minutes. You know, he likes to manage the workload. I would bet you that those that you'll basically get the same lineup except for Martinez in there, and then maybe you'll still keep Legit and perhaps uh, Ariel on a shortest leash. You know, if they're not feeling a hundred percent great, but I don't, I don't think he you know, anywhere close to losing his spot, mainly because Giovanni's not even not remotely ready. Ima plays better at home than he does on turf away, so. Um, I think I think any fan out there could probably guess this lineup pretty easily from Dallas. Right. You know, with the inclusion of I think it'll be back to Martinez. That's my one take on the back line. All right, just uh, before we get into other uh, th- thoughts about predicting lineups or players, uh, Kansas City comes into this as I said. Uh, a loss. Their opening game in Portland was a loss, but they're also coming off two back-to-back exciting, thrilling nil-nil draws. Buzz. Uh, mm. First one was in Colorado, and the last one was the game this past weekend against the Galaxy, uh, which was a nil-nil draw. So they've uh, they've yet to score this season, but they've also only given up one goal in three games this season. So let that be your guide. My question is: one of the other things of my thought about the performance in Vancouver, and to a degree, the game against the Galaxy was the realization that if uh, the team is uh, you know kind of in a position in a late in a game looking to score a goal they don't currently have a lot of options until now because the third Jesus on the team now (laughs) has his visa and I think you're going to tell us from the training report from uh, Wednesday that he is available for this weekend as well yeah he's got his visa he's back in training uh, and just his mere presence and back in training means he has it he wouldn't have been able to come back until he got it Um, in terms of like competing for like a real starting option. He's behind on fitness. He didn't have a complete spring training and he hasn't trained in a couple of weeks now because he's working on the visa. But uh, instantly he's number two behind Jesus as a striker. He, while he may not be 90 minute fit, he's definitely... He's got to be a late game no, option though, right? Yeah, 100%. Right. He can for sure give you 20, 30 off the bench. No problem. The guy. It's not like the guy's been sitting around for a year doing nothing. You know, he was in Toronto's camp. He just wasn't here when he was transitioning, and that's all. It just means he's not ready to go 90 as a starter. That's all. So, you know, give the guy a couple of weeks, and he will be legit in competition to say who's going to, you know, start games. Obviously, this coach also feels strongly about cohesion, you know, but if you're a good enough player, you can get the cohesion really quick, and I would assume Jimenez, based on what he gets paid and his resume, is going to be a guy who's going to get it really quickly. You know, he does already play – a higher line than Jesus, but he knows how to play this movement-based striker. So it's not going to be a tough transition for him to play in the FC Dallas system. So yeah, he's 100% already the second choice, 100% ready off the bench if you need him, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Maybe you could even go 45 if you had to. I don't I don't know why you'd want to, but you, you could if you had to probably. So um, you know, count him as a guy in the holster, if you will, of the tools that the coach will have off the bench. He'll he'll definitely make the bench over Milato. I can't imagine that wouldn't happen unless you want to have two strikers available, which is, of course, possible. But um, I would actually, if it were my team, I would even try to get him into this game if at all possible. This is a guy with enough of a resume that you want to try and get him 
into action fast. And so I would expect uh, – I'm expecting him to come off the bench in this game, actually, for even if it's just 10, 15 minutes, I think you'll, you'll, they'll want to see him. Yeah, I'd be disappointed if he didn't yeah. appear in this game, especially if they're looking for a goal because, yeah. man, it's gotta, there's got to be an option better than Hot Air Obreon <laughs> uh, at, at this point. Well, they have two, they have two options on how to implement him into the game right now. One is the two-striker system. We saw it in game one. They went to it with Mulatto as the second striker, more to just sort of say, okay, guys, this is what we will do, you know, get them familiar with it. And the other is to bring him in uh, as the nine and drop Jesus deep into a – Kind of more of a two four two three one where Jesus is that underneath, not quite a ten, but that underneath sort of off kind of position that he did um, for Lucci, like uh, in the in the Pepe season. So you know they have possibilities of how you can make a more attacking lineup. I think they like the two striker one better. So we'll see how that kind of goes because uh, it'll be interesting to see long term. It's going to be a fascinating question because the guy's getting paid enough and has enough of a resume. Like you want him playing. You know, how do we get him yeah. in? That's a that's yeah. maybe it's just rotation. This coach loves rotation and minute management. So maybe it's just that and they just different guys are alternating, but um should be a tool that'll help this team. Should be. Well, it, it is the, uh, an interesting side note that came up today because I think some of us assumed there was a pretty good chance that uh uh, Ferreira was going to end up missing time due to maybe potentially Nations League uh, call-up, but he right. didn't get called up for the no. national team today. Yeah. Um, so he's available, so they're not going to lose him there. Maybe they'll lose him for Gold Cup. I don't know, but um, uh, it, that is at least uh, uh, something yeah. to consider because uh, I, I think at some point we were all thinking we were going to see more of Jimenez uh, than not just because of Jesus's call-up, but it didn't I, happen today. I assumed he was going to, and then I didn't notice that he didn't until I after I already talked to coach or else I would have asked if they said no to this, to him being called up right now. Cause it's not an international window. They got games, right? So yeah, it's an MLS based team, but it's also yeah. a lot of, I mean, the crazy part is it's an MLS based team yet. Giovanni Reina is going to be there, uh, which is a really yeah. weird addition. Uh, well, I, he ain't I, playing for Dortmund. So yeah, no, but I mean, I'm hoping it's a good sign, uh, that, that all the other drama that happened earlier this week, uh, is, is blowing over. But, uh, I was a bit surprised, uh, Ferrer wasn't called up, but I'm not sure that's necessarily a, bad maybe he's seen as a more senior guy and they yeah. don't need him for this particular tournament yeah there's a couple of guys that are getting looks here right like dk's in uh you could you could argue since happy to make the world cup that that's getting a look you know czar is in dejas is in allen is in you know card cardoso uh, johnny cardoso who's that's only his fourth he's only got four caps joe scally austin trusty's got zero Brian Reynolds is going to get his third if he plays. So there's there's definitely like a handful of maybe like eight to ten guys that are like fringish and getting looks. Mm-hmm. It's not a hundred percent all like, but there's no Walker Zimmerman for example. So I, I think depending on which MLS teams might have said oh, we really need to keep Jesus for until we get him in as up and going, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So they might have said no to this one. If you give if you let him keep us for this one, maybe we'll be more open to the Gold Cup, you know. That's yeah. kind of the way I took it. I don't. I don't. I looked at this roster, and this isn't to me like a all-in. I'm trying to win this game. This is like a. I got a core. I'm going to bring in some fringes guys and see how it kind of goes. Kind of team looking at it to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, Ethan Horvath's in there with only eight caps. You know, it's like it's definitely some fringy stuff going on. Yeah, that whole national team thing is such a mess yeah i mean i don't cover it full time so I'll, you know i'm kind of on the outside reading between the leaves here but 
you know, I mean, Mark McKenzie back in, that's nice. That's probably over Walker. So, you know, it's kind of fringy. I mean, Reynolds in there over whoever at right back. I mean, Dest is in there too, but he he's not playing forever he's with, you know. So okay. I'm assuming some of these guys got called in because they don't play. I mean, Tyler Taylor Booth, when, that guy's got zero caps too. So there's definitely a lot of fringe going on. Well, that game's at 7.30 this Saturday. And the other note uh, that should be uh, mentioned here by me, because this is something I love to talk about, is that this is the particular weekend for the first time Dallas's game is on the Apple TV for free. So if you do not have the MLS Season Pass subscription, you'll be able to log into any Apple TV app or on their particular website and watch the game for free with no subscription. So, uh, My fascinating note go. about Apple TV is that Followell's not doing the Dallas game. He's out in L.A. because he's with the Mavericks in L.A. He's going to stay a day, I guess, and do... I think he's on the Galaxy game or something. So oh, is he of, really? Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I'd love to. I'd love to spread Mark Followell around as much as possible. But this would also be a, a good weekend to make the choice that if you don't want to listen to whatever yokels they put on the game for television, you can uh, punch up the radio broadcast and listen to Owen and Steve. So I enjoy that you just turned Mark Followell into a condiment. You spread him around. Yeah, I did. He's like ketchup. <laughs> Wait, I don't think Mark likes ketchup. He Mayo? Likes He's a mustard. Mayo guy? Maybe mustard. Yeah, mustard. Remember. Yeah, mustard. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, he seems like a gray Poupon kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely high class. Oh, the highest. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. uh, so you did go to training day. We talked a little bit about training, but yep. uh, you actually attended training. Anything from that? I, I think what everybody is uh, counting on from you, Buzzard, is a full... Uh, report on Mr. Jimenez in terms of uh, anything else you'd like to throw in about your uh, thoughts on seeing him actually practice. Yeah, it was It was, they were working today on like a, a group movement and team shape, you know, which is all about cohesion. And he was a good part of that. They, they gave him a specific instruction on one particular defensive uh, positioning they wanted him to do. I'm not going to say what it is because just in case people are listening, that shouldn't be, but um, he really quickly adapted to that, so that's good. Anytime I see a guy that can take one instruction and instantly get it, that's I like that. That's really good. Again, I, I think right now mainly off the bench is going to be a good uh, thing for him. What I like about him is that he is constantly active. He's not. You're not going to look at him and watch him just run past people. He's he's not fast, but he's not slow either. He's but he is constantly active, and I, I particularly like that in a guy in this system, which is a movement-based system. So that's really good. Uh, the other thing was, again, I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I want to mention it again, because I really was struck today by Nikosi Tafari's body language. And the, I know people maybe think, there are probably some people that think I overblow this kind of thing, but you can tell by a, how someone's carrying themselves, how they feel about themselves. 100%. Yeah. Yes, I could not agree with you more. And I know people get annoyed by the discussion of body language. Oh, man. But you don't have to be somebody that's watched this game for very long to tell that they're just that it is an element to pay attention to, yeah. and and more times than not, body language uh, body language of a player in game is a huge indicator of what's going on. Yeah, and you can include all of training as as this. Now you know, like if you see him at Kmart, that's not what I mean. I mean like as he's walking out to training, as he's standing and talking to yeah, guys. Everybody has bad body language at Kmart. Yeah, as they're, as they're running the drills, just the way he talks to people and the way, like you can see like when a rookie's standing out there, they're standing there with their hands on their hips and they're looking at people. You can just see their eyes darting, moving, like what am, what's going on, I, I, you know. Whereas Nikosi is now 
has that countenance of like, he's, I'm not saying he's Matt Hedges, but now he's carrying himself like, I'm the guy. I get it. This is yeah. my defense now. And I'm and, glad to hear yeah. you say this because I, I have never, I mean, Nikosi is a guy who always looks extremely comfortable in his own skin. For sure. On and off the field. So the fact that you're noticing even another kind of level of that on the field yeah. is a great sign. Comfort in, in the team, in the group. Comfort, you know, it's it's a subtle difference. But to me, this season, it's different. And even this particular training session, last game, I could see it in the game. And I can see it today. And it makes me excited. I just think it's really good because I even talked to Coach about it. You know, he's like, he said, absolutely, the guy's dialed in and he has total belief in himself now and that he can do this at this level and be the guy. And he said it's coming across in everything he does and he's taking a big step forward. And that's really exciting when, you're, when you've been watching a guy for a couple of years waiting for him to come on. And he's come on. It's, now it's exciting. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, I mentioned Carl Siante, who's the sixth from uh, North Texas, was up. My, my, my guy, Ali Uzura, who's the 16-year-old they just signed, again in first-team training. Uh, I talk a lot about this club likes to take people and put them in pressure situations and see how they respond. The response this kid's having is absolutely beautiful. I, I just love it. You, you should think of him as – no one will confirm for me that he has this hybrid deal, but think of him as the 16-year-old Paxton signing. This is the level of player we're talking about. Wow. You know, okay. you're, you know, But like Paxton or like Brian – you know, it took three years to break into the first team. But that doesn't mean that, like, in training, you can't see the moments. You can see the progression, and you can get excited about it. And now I want to see him, like, I'm assuming he'll bounce down. He's going to play with North Texas a lot. He'll probably bounce down to the 19s for the Dallas Cup, you know, for example, because you're going to play, well, I was going to say Arsenal. They're not playing them anymore. But you're going to play Fulham, or you're going to play, you know, somebody from Brazil. Those are great games. He'll probably bounce down for that. So we'll see. Or even the 17s, they might send him to the GA Cup. Because that's, that's very similar to the Super Group, you know, the GA Cup. That's pretty high end, and they, they've never won that. They might want to put him back with the U17 team, which just is amazing to think about a kid that looks really good in training, that he's only 16 years old. That's exciting. So uh, what else was good? Um, the weather. The weather. Oh, my God, it was so beautiful today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, mid-50s, you know, to high 50s, that's my perfect temp. You know, I probably got over over 60 by the time training was done. Oh, I just was loving man, 52 so to gorgeous. 59 is yeah. optimal temperature for Mr. So Peter Welton. I love yeah. 52 to 59. It was so good. Um, keepers are still looking good. Uh, Julian Eyestone, of course, still there with Antonio and and, and Jimmy and, and Paz. <laughs> Um, is he has he grown another foot yet? Is he like eighteen feet tall? No, I, I my understanding is that he's between six six and six seven, and they're crossing their fingers that he's stopped growing, and they, they think he's actually stopped growing. So they're actually and he's sixteen. <laughs> uh, he's seventeen. Um, he now? Yeah. the The trick with him, the important thing with him, is the kid is smart enough that he took a, extra classes and gradu- is graduating from high school in May a year early. Ah, okay. So, and he's got a ride to Duke, so. The reason we're going to talk about him more over the next couple of months is because come July, August, he'll go to Duke and play. Um, and and so there's a, there's a window of do we sign him? Do we try and sign him now, or do we wait till like January? Because in January he'll turn 17. I mean he's already 17. Sorry, he'll turn 18 sometime after the start of next year. So that's the point at which teams will come calling from Europe to want to try and sign him to like a pre-contract and get him locked up after this fall season at Duke. So there's a dialogue the club's going to have to have with him and with his people about, okay, um, 
you know, do we start doing something now? Do we let you go to Duke? Do we do it then? How much money are you bringing to the table? What are the Europeans bringing? It's going to be complicated. This is a kid in high demand. He's not as good as Antonio right now, but he's ahead of where Antonio was at the same age. And obviously the size and the athleticism and the mentality are massive. So, you know, what a great luxury for FC Dallas to have. Do we uh, hold it against him for being a Dukey? No, no, I don't have any scan against Duke. I think that's okay. fine. You know, I mean, listen, if you got a chance to go to Duke, wouldn't you? I mean, good grief. Just, I just wanted to say Dukey. <laughs> you say <not>. Dukey? <laughs> Peter Dukey Wilson. Uh, uh, all right, so the other uh, thing to talk about was I woke up, I guess, it, let's see, today's Wednesday we're recording this. I guess it was Monday yeah. morning. I wake up and I see uh, soccer Twitter fawning over the news that mm, yeah. LAFC has done this mind-bendingly awesome deal with Bayern Munich and suddenly question marks popped all over my head when I was like, well, how does even Taylor yeah. Twelman doesn't seem <laughs> to understand that Dallas had a deal that reads a lot like this, yeah. uh, uh, dating back at least what, two or three seasons ago. And, and by the way, I know there are differences between these things, but if you go read the press releases by both clubs, uh, that, uh, that are on each team's website, they read awfully similar to each other <laughs> yeah. and what this thing is. And then it suddenly dawned on me, does the Dallas deal with Bayern Munich even exist still? No, it doesn't. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. That, that, uh, okay. So what Dallas, what, sorry, what Bayern currently has is a deal with the Hunts and the Chiefs. <laughs> so the, this is a deal to trade yeah. tickets for Champions League games and Super Bowls is what it is. Uh, you know, perhaps potentially partially look let's talk about it first from a doubt from a Bayern Munich perspective. So the, what Bayern Munich is interested in, uh, in, a, in some ways you can compare them to the Dallas Cowboys in the sense that they've pretty much saturated their home market. Like the way Bayern Munich will grow is through international exposure and revenue generation. The German clubs are terrible at revenue generation. So they're interested in learning from the hunts, how you make NFL money, Right. Okay. Which is part of why they got involved with SC Dallas in the first place was because of the hunts in the NFL. Right. So the other thing that Bayern Munich is interested in is exposure in America. And I think it's pretty fair to say that LAFC is now the marquee franchise in this league and has a bigger name than SC Dallas does. I, you know, it sucks, but it's true. So that's what they're looking for is exposure, um, playing off the World Cup, LA, all that stuff, you know, bigger market, all that stuff. So the other thing to consider is that um, Bayern Munich as a club, they don't really bring players through their own system. You know, there are most of the time when they want a player, they go buy them, right? They don't really promote kids from their academy. Even like Chris Richards, they brought into the fringes of their first team, but then eventually they, they, they did with him, which what they do with 90% of the kids from their academy is they sell them to other teams in the Bundesliga or other teams around the world. Like when they want a guy, they go pay a lot of money and get one, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're not really looking for uh, out of any relationship with American tapping of the American market. They're not looking for a guy that's going to come at 14 and then work his way up and be in their first team. They're looking for guys they can develop and then sell. It's a business. So there's a mistake. I think that they made when they did the deal with Dallas that they didn't include some kind of right of first refusal or some kind of discount and it ended up biting them because uh, there were a couple of guys they were interested in and FC Dallas gave them the first one on the cheap. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of FC Dallas's 
uh, world market strategy comes from trial and error. They missed on Weston McKinney, so they went ham on signing kids. And then they sold Chris Richards for too little. And then, okay, next one's going to be more expensive. And so when Byron wanted Shea, they were like, okay, here's the price. And Byron's like, you owe us him. I'm like, no, no, we owe you nothing. you got to pay market price. And when they wanted Thomas Roberts on loan, where's the money? Eventually, FC Dallas gets to where they're selling Pepe for $20 million. Man, we don't need Byron. We can sell these guys on our own for a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, what the two clubs wanted was uh, out of whack. What Dallas wanted was coaching methodology. Like, they sent Lucci over. They sent other coaches over to, to do clinics and learn. They sent Zanata over to meet with some of those guys and learn and get notes. They learned... They got stuff about how to run an academy. They got stuff about how to run a pro organization. They got opportunities for their kids to go to these things that they love, which is take them out of their comfort zones. So we're going to send some kids over to train. They they got a spot for one of the FC Dallas youth teams in the Byron campus tournament, which is a small invitation-only kind of tournament that's a really good, again, outside the comfort zone, stressor, high-caliber teams. So that's what they were interested in. Now, the part Dallas didn't like, and I think it was a big reason why the thing changed and shifted, was just as much because of Dallas as Byron. Byron was having Dallas not give them kids for free, and Dallas was having their kids go over there and having their head turned. And they got kids coming back all screwed up in the head, like, where's my money? Where's my car? Where's my living allowance? Where's my facility? (laughs) Right? Uh, they got and notably, and I don't know Justin Shea intimately, but quite clearly, Justin Shea changed when he came back from there, right? And he and you notice that no players have gone from Dallas to train there since then, right? No, no, no boys have. They've sent some girls over since then. And Tariq Scott took play took part in the Byron World thing, but that's different. They Dallas quit sending kids after Shea, after the group that had Shea in it after they turned down the Roberts loan. Now there was a couple of pushbacks too. And I think you can see this in what happened with LAFC where Byron, a couple of kids that Dallas sent Byron was like, don't bother sending kids that are that caliber anymore. That's not good enough for us. And Dallas is like, well, it ain't about you. Right. So there's, that's where the disconnect happened in the two things. And that's why I think you see them left with the hunt chiefs thing and not the FC Dallas part, because the FC Dallas part wasn't making sense for either group. And Byron still gets what they want from the Hunts and the Chiefs from that from that perspective. And that brings you to the difference between the Dallas deal and the LAFC deal. This LAFC deal includes this uh, developmental academy initiative that they're both going to co-own that's in Munich, by the way, not here, right? Byron is still keeping their first, their main academy. They're not going to be sending their superstar kids to this thing, right? right. L- LAFC is a club that doesn't progress kids out of their academy. So they're looking for their perspective. They're losing out in their market to guys that are going more often to LA Galaxy. So, okay, now we'll put this little thing together and now we'll say, oh, we can send you over to Europe to play in this little thing. So again, this project, from my reading of this thing, this project is exactly what Byron always does is they go find these kids, they develop them up and they're going to sell them off to whoever around the world. You're not going to play for Byron coming through this little thing. 
maybe you'll get a chance with LAFC, but more than likely they're going to try and be turn you into a football factory and sell you off to, you know, try and tap this LA market and probably all markets all over Europe. You're going to see a mix of kids from all over Europe that are not Byron level, but are maybe a level right below that. So again, Byron wanted their hands into the youth and access to the youth and an ownership of the youth that they weren't, they failed to put into the Dallas deal. So that's why that thing ended. That and the Dallas's idea that we're tired of getting our hands, our, our kids' heads turned. And I've heard also stories that you can imagine how arrogant Byron probably is and talking down to the Dallas people in terms of like, you idiots don't know what you're doing or whatever. Yeah, it feels you know. very predatory that yeah. Byron just saw an opportunity to take business advantage of a you know, a small little MLS uh, newbie club and and take advantage of them in terms of the players and stuff and, and credit to the Hunts and everybody involved in Dallas for at least quickly figuring out that they shouldn't be pushed around very easily in terms of pricing yeah. and so forth. So, well, um, when I mean, you sell Pepe for $20 million, you don't, you don't need Byron anymore. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It, but it is pretty classic Dallas for something they made a huge mountain of a mm-hmm. uh, deal yeah. out of to suddenly quietly let it uh, sunset off into the, uh, yeah. you know, without telling well, anybody, um, you know. You and I have been saying for years that this, the Byron-Dallas deal had nothing to do with players. Right, yeah. there were no player rights. Nobody was ever coming the other way. They sent, <laughs> they sent their U twenty team, twenty one team once. You remember this? And they got, they were just embarrassed off the field by like North Texas. Do you remember that? You know, like they, it was an opportunity to get a, a, a for just on the player front. The only thing in there was a, a an FC Dallas team to the Byron campus tournament, and the chance for FC Dallas kids to go over and train a little bit. That was it. There wasn't anything yeah. else about players in there. So that's what. You know, Byron wanted more control of the player pie that they were getting. Dallas didn't want to give their kids up for nothing. So it's like, you know, none of that language was in there. And that's why I said, I think from the Byron perspective, they made a mistake on the Dallas deal that they didn't have that. Well, they've rectified it this time. They've got that all in there now. Well, don't ever, never forget that wonderful press conference where Dan Hunt actually tried to uh, hint at the opportunity and the possibility (laughs) that because of the partnership and at the particular time, Thomas Mueller's weird status with uh, Bayern Munich. And I think there was another older player too. I don't remember who it was. It was probably who was it? Probably Lewandowski. I don't know. (laughs) Was it, it was, I think it was Mueller and somebody. And Dan was like, well, you know, you never know with this relationship, maybe. Mm -hmm." And then of course that just lit a fire under the fan base. Like suddenly Mueller's coming here. We all looked at each other and went, oh, good. Yeah. It never happened. Well, listen, Dan Dan Hunt is cute and cuddly sometimes, but he always talks way over talks and talks out of his rear end about stuff. Sometimes over promising stuff. that's not actually in the real thing. So you kind of kind of take some of the stuff he says with a grain of salt, but you know there never was any player stuff coming the other way in this deal ever. So, yeah, either way for that matter. All right. Uh, speaking of Dan Hunt, today this afternoon, the Dallas Morning News wrote an article. This is unrelated to Dallas, uh, other than the fact that um, uh, Dan Hunt is involved in this because it is related to uh, the World Cup coming right. to America in 2026. And I happened to stumble across this article that is in the Dallas Morning News. I think it was today that it was published. Uh, and it's written by uh, who wrote this article? I don't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, it, it, it goes into way more details 
about the uh, modifications to AT&T Stadium, a.k.a. the Death Star, for the World Cup. And if you've uh, been following me at all over the course of the last couple of years, uh, I've been trying to keep taps on this concept that Jerry Jones has agreed to allow uh, for his stadium to be modified and not in a very minor way, I'll tell you, uh, to allow for the proper amount of width and field surface needed to host not just World Cup games, but to host the big games, the opener, the semifinal, and in particular, the final. And the means in doing that is this really creative uh, construction where they actually will raise the floor of the stadium uh, by building a substrate on the existing concrete surface and then put a new surface down on top of that that would allow it to rise high enough uh, above the normal surface so that they can extend out over the existing seats. And so in this article in the morning news today, not only do they in, uh, in, uh, kind of suggest that they've come to an agreement on the height, because in some of the mock-ups there, was some, there were options, there was a short height and a, a tall height, but they have also indicated that 3,000 of the existing seats in AT&T Stadium will be eliminated to accommodate this new width. But I, the other part of this that was really interesting to me, Buzz, was the news that Dan uh, co- you know, brought forth that to pay for this, which, by the way, he says is well into the millions of dollars to do this modification, will come from tax dollars. The Texas Trust Fund, which is a, finan- a financial mechanism that encourages the hosting of big events in the state. And uh, Hunt's quote is, Texas is a very unique mechanism that allows to do a tax revenue calculation and take that money and reinvest it to bring major events to the state. And special events that fund that Texas will help help us fund the field elevation at AT AT&T Stadium. So uh, I got to tell you, I'm sure there's something in there that would maybe still uh, prevent FIFA from picking this, but for them to be going so far as to be pulling into state tax dollars to fund this just tells me Dallas's chances of actually getting the final just went up in my book and that's the part that i'm excited about the idea of hosting the actual world cup final here not just games uh but if they're going to go so far in to do that they're really committed to getting the final here yeah that and his thing before about the the big upgrades he's doing to the um the stadium a part of which i understand is a 4k version of that big gigantic screen up there um you know he's talking about spending a lot of millions of dollars just to upgrade his own facility that is you know good for him even if it's not the World Cup, but that all strikes me, including this thing today, strikes me as the grease that's going to get him that final. Now, we always thought they were going to get a semi or the final, um, but I think he's making a real play. And if, and if you're looking at this tax dollar situation, the amount of money that will be generated by having you know, any events at all here in Dallas and the final in particular will just be astronomical for the Metroplex so in Texas. So you can easily see why this kind of tax thing is doable and why the, the state would be you know, on board with it. It makes oh, a lot sure. of financial sense. Um, and I agree with you. I think this is all part of the plan. And I, I sat in on a meeting where one of the architects that was involved with the stadium talked about the luxury suites that are at the field level. And I think I've mentioned this before, that the only reason those luxury exist, suites exist is because 
it allows them to do this raised soccer field and only lose like the first four rows of stands. Whereas if you had stands all the way down, you'd be losing like 20 rows of stands. So part of the reason why those field level suites exist at all is because of Jones building that stadium knew he wanted to try to get the world cup, you know, very deep events, whether it be the semifinal or the final. So this has been a plan over a decade in the making on Jones's part. And when you're talking about the money that happens at a FIFA level, the World Cup level, Jones partnering with the Hunts even makes any more sense because those are the kind of big ways that can pull this off. You know, they yeah. can bring guys in for the NFL events and say, this is what it'll be like, not an MLS game. You know what I mean? No offense, MLS, totally get it, right? The NFL is a much more level of showcase in terms of like, this is what it'll be like. You know, so I, I, it's just one more step on the road to pretend, potentially getting the final. And it's going to be super exciting, I think, for all of us in this area to have. I mean, any games at all in your backyard is wonderful, but to have a semi or final is going to be just off the charts. Yeah, the, the the opening game, a semifinal, the final, all of those are the equivalency of hosting a Super Bowl. And we know what that means in this country uh, for whatever oh, city and yeah. stadium that gets that. And to be able to do, you know, both a semifinal and a final or the opening game and the final or whatever. But the fact that Jones is willing to spend the money and allow his stadium to be modified is notable because that is what probably will keep LA's SoFi stadium from getting the final. Yeah. Because the word is, is that they have to do even more modifications because of the way that stadium's constructed to essentially accommodate the same field uh, width and everything. And those owners are like, well, hold on a second. We just built this thing. <laughs> uh, you know, by the time the World Cup's here, it, it won't even be five years old, or maybe it'll be right at five years old. Don't forget, AT&T Stadium, by the time the World Cup comes here in 26, it'll almost be tw a 20-year-old stadium, believe it or not. And so investing in those type of modifications probably are a little bit more acceptable than something you just, you know, <laughs> spent two or three billion dollars on, uh, you know, yeah. a nickel ago. So well, Jones probably uh, thinks his stuff. place is due for a refresh anyway. You know, in the previous numbers he was throwing around with the upgrades to the video and the upgrades to the stadium in general, all all, all play into this. It's all part of it. You know, and he's not a dummy. He knows that he can get help doing some of those things because of the World Cup. You know? Yeah. So. Well, we'll uh, keep everybody posted. Uh, I've po I think Buzz retweeted the link that I had posted out to the morning news. Yep. And uh, I've also included in that thread a couple of photos from the last time FIFA was here. Because many times I try to explain to people this idea that they're going to raise the elevation of the floor. And, and in your head, that's hard to understand <laughs> what that means. But when FIFA was here last time, they actually built a mock-up of the of what that could look like, and I've included a couple of photos of those mock-ups. And once you see it, that visually will make it clear to you what they're looking to do. Um, and so you can go find those on, on our Twitter. Yeah, account. and you can see from those pictures what I mean about those those field level luxury suites allowing them to do this without losing yeah. as much seats. Uh, okay, the last thing I wanted to talk about is a real quick kit talk. Mm. Uh, so Surprise kit talk, yeah. Bring yeah, it. you can go ahead and just push uh, stop now. You can go <laughs> into your whatever other pod you'd like to. Real quick, today was the day that we finally officially saw the vi the the pictures of the Portland Thorn away kit that had been leaked for about a few days now. Right, and it, and it it is one of the most controversial designs uh, in some time. And if you haven't seen it. It is a not a white shirt. It's I think it's a creamy off white color. Yeah, but it's covered in a rose slash thorn. 
the only way I can explain it is like a, a tattoo design that covers the entire top half of the shirt onto the sleeves. And, you know, if you're being funny about it, it looks like an Ed Hardy affliction mm-hmm. shirt from a few years ago. Right. Um, and I didn't know what you thought about it, Buzz. You may be surprised to find that I love it, actually. Because I, to me, it looks like... Um, like a like a like a Mexican uh, style shirt with like embroidery on it, right? So it's like it doesn't yeah, to me. I get it doesn't that. look like a Hardy. It doesn't. It looks like a cool bowling shirt or like you know like that embroidery look to me looks kind of interesting and cool and flavorful and different. It doesn't. It doesn't look gimmicky. You know, like there's sometimes when you like if that was all just sort of like just like a color print and not stylized like embroidery. I might not, I might not think it was cool, but it's like, I just like the way this one really looks. I, and I, and I ordinarily don't like gimmick kits, but man, this one I really do. And I, yeah. I don't hard How to figure out why. Would it change if it was an MLS team's shirt versus being a woman's team's shirt? Oh, uh, like if that might, was the, actually, if yeah, that was the timber, that. if that was the timbers away shirt, how would you feel about it? I think it'd be okay for the timbers. Um, you know, it would, obviously the roses wouldn't make sense. Although Portland's still Rose City, so actually it would make sense for the Timbers. You know, I don't know that the roses make a lot of sense for anybody else. Um, but, you know, I, I just, uh, you're probably right that I wouldn't like it as much on a men's shirt. Maybe that's sexist on my part, but. It, yeah, it's it's traditional American uh, tattoo style in yeah, the art. Sure. That's what it is. I mean, it's it looks like a tattoo you would have seen on Ink Master. Um, I, I wouldn't <laughs> wear the, the heck MCs. out of this shirt, personally. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I found all Almost of it. The, the, the one other detail that I was fascinated by, and this is the, the, the nerdiest part of being a kit nerd, is that in one of the photos in the official release uh, has one of the players in the full kit, and so the shorts are, are like a dark, dark green, but they've also gone back to the original iteration of the Portland's Thorn uh, circular crest, which is green and black. But in the shorts, they've done something I've never seen a team do before. They've added onto the crest with these little details of a, of a rose growing out from behind the crest yeah. as part of it on the short uh, on the shorts. And I just thought that was a cruel detail. I'd never seen anybody uh, kind of modify their crest in that way before. So anyway, if you haven't seen it, you can go find it out. There's one particular Twitter uh, account that did an incredibly long thread of jokes about the shirt. Mm. Um, and I'll read a couple of to you. He said, this shirt can re- Cite full episodes of the Joe Rogan experience from memory. Um, this shirt can only enter its mom house by promising not to demonstrate submission maneuvers on the family dog. <laughs> <laughs> this shirt is mad as its girlfriend, mad at its girlfriend for asking it to put its shirt back on at a wedding reception. <laughs> uh, this shirt was arrested on spring break in Tampa despite being 45 years old. A whole bunch of those. Very, very, very funny. Oh, and this shirt doesn't believe in deodorant. <laughs> yeah. This thing only works on a pretty, I mean, like the white's got some sublimation in it, but it's basically just all cream or white. You could yeah. do this kind of look on an all cream or an all black, but that's about it. Like if you put it on a color or any kind of pattern, it would be trash. Um, I just think it's, you know, it's, and the fact that it's not white shorts, that it has the green shorts with it, that helps too. It know? does. It's, yeah. it's just a really well done kit. And as a gimmick goes, it's a really well done gimmick. It's pr- it's a pretty clean. I mean, we're talking about it being tattooy, but it's not like uh, it's still a pretty clean look. You know, it's it's a very modern 
um, kind of, I mean, I, I'm not a good, and I'm not into the tattoo scene, so I don't know what you would call this. Is it that Americana style? It's American traditional. Almost, is, yeah, yeah, that's called that's American right. traditional is the, is the tattoo art style that it is, yeah. that it is mimicking. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. It, I, look, it's different and I give them, uh, I credit them for trying something different. And if the players dig it, uh, if, Hey, look, it's really up to the Thorns fans. Do the, do they sell it? And I'm, yeah. I'm sure they will oh, They'll yeah. sell it like crazy. Um, so, uh, you know, the, 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 something you mentioned here about the fact that it has dark shorts, I do want to, you and I have bitched about this forever about MLS in the last few years about every uniform being monocolored, white yeah. top, white short, you know, white shorts, red top, red shorts. Yeah. And the fact that they won't let teams uh, wear both dark shorts in the same game or white shorts in the same game. I'm starting to see more of that this particular season, not just in the, in the breakup of the non-monocolor kits. Uh, lots of teams getting white shorts or wearing a white shirt with dark shorts. I just that's been a real shift this season. And I for sure. And especially with the new 1080p on the Apple TV, it looks fantastic. Oh, absolutely. They're 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 absolutely uh, loosening the reins on this rule. I mean, you can look at the new Dallas kit, for example. Its preferred short is black with that creamish white top. So, like, that's a that's a perfect example of what we're talking about. But they that's what they want to wear is that combo, not white white. Yeah. So, you know, there are kits that are solid monochrome that are good, but most of the time, a, a breakup helps. You know, particularly when you have like a really strong top that's got some stuff going on sometimes the the darker base short can really help or if you have a really dark top a white base can really help you know like like anything in the kit world almost any idea is a good idea if you execute it properly just like any idea is a bad idea if you fumble the execution so like you, you could say to a guy make Red an american style tattoo shirt and it can be terrible or it can be good like this portland one or you can look at the fc dallas red and white hoops when they came out with them way back when that were terrible. Whereas there are teams that have the U S Waldo short shirt is the one of the favorite among the fans. They're all because it has Navy shorts with it, perhaps or Or white shorts, cleaner execution. Yeah. White, like in the FC Dallas case, if you, that original red and white hoop with white shorts look way better because it toned down the red a little bit. And whereas the blue looked better with the blue shorts because it deepened it all, you know, or vice versa, like putting a number like the, um, Vancouver kits that have a red number on their basically white and blue kit, right? So there's a pop. Mm-hmm. You know, little things like that really matter in terms of execution. It can make a big difference. And that's why, for example, this Portland kit I think is great. And there are other kits that I don't think are great. And, and you know, almost any kit, well, you can look, point to small things like that. And, and you're right. They've loosened the rules on the shorts. And I think it's phenomenal. Uh, so happy to see it around this league. And, there's a, and now I don't have 32 teams with a white kit. You know, because there was a couple seasons there where everybody was all dark versus everybody versus all white. The games all look the same and they're all boring as hell. And we've gotten away from that. And it's really good. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was uh, Bob Sturm from the ticket was uh, ranting online about the NBA's real crisis in terms of uh, team identity, because every team has a thousand. You know, I I honestly could. I'm 99 percent sure if you held a gun to my head and said, Tell me what the team colors of the NBA teams are. I might be able to tell you the team colors for five of them. Mm. And for the Mavericks, I know it's white. I know there's a green and I know there's a blue, but I don't even know what color blue it is. And is it a royal blue? Is it a navy blue? I don't know. It's both. 
<laughs> is it both? And there's uh, yeah. some silver involved too, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, 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 I mean, the Lakers are kind of the only one that I could tell you is you know what their color scheme yeah. is, and probably the Celtics. But yeah, I, I think that's a huge problem in the NBA. But maybe that's also a generational thing, and there's a younger generation that doesn't give two craps about it. Well, so. Tex Schramm knew the reason the Cowboys were white is because so that way every team that comes in there, you get a different color coming in against the Cowboys white. So every game looks differently. And this is something I've said about the NHL since they flipped like, it's like 15 years ago. Now every FC, every, excuse me, every Dallas stars game looks exactly the same. Dallas is in there green and the other teams in white. You can't tell the games apart unless you know what you're looking at. Yeah. It's so much better when Dallas stars were white at home. And so every team that comes in is a different color. Now, they do that because fans like to wear the colored jerseys more than they like the white jerseys. It's true with the Cowboys. It's true of hockey jerseys. It's always true. But it doesn't mean that your games don't get boring, right? There's a reason why baseball has gone away from white and gray. You know, home whites, road grays. That's what, for like a 99 years, that's all everybody wore. And the, the, these colored jerseys that my, my hardcore friends call softball jerseys because they're colors <laughs> and they're fun to actually look at, right? <laughs> And look how great the Ranger powder blue is. They brought that back. Everybody went crazy because it's so good. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, but yet yet, when the Rangers wear the head to toe powder blue, it looks terrible. Right. You just want, yeah, I don't know. It's kit. Kidding is tough. People think it's easy. It's not. It's like, I, I don't envy the people that have to try and execute it because it's hard, but you're actually better off getting people that are good at this in your organization because Adidas isn't really going to help you. You're kind of on your own. They'll give you some templates and you're kind of on your own. And there are clubs that execute all the time and do great kits all the time. And there are clubs that fumble the ball all the time and some in between. You can look at Ford Madison, who almost universally on every piece of swag or gear or merch that they have, they knock it out of the park pretty much every single time. And it, it can't be whoever they're working with. It's got to be them because it's them all the time, you know. Well, uh, to close things up, I got a good laugh out of the Discord the other day unintentionally uh, in the last week of me promoting the concept of maybe we should just uh, nickname this team The Burn again, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, I think has been received relatively well. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not going to go out of my way to overuse it, guys. Don't worry. I'll refer to them to The Burn when appropriate. Um, was uh, uh, my my hope that maybe maybe as early as this weekend, we would get to hear the supporters groups, El Matador and Dallas Beard Guardians, uh, revive the old classic Dallas Burn chant uh, from the Inferno days. The Inferno being the original supporters group of the Dallas Burn right. uh, from day one. And <laughs> one of the one of the people from one of the supporters groups <laughs> asked me if there was any video <laughs> of the chant. Yeah, and it dawned on me. <laughs> Uh, listen here, Buckaroo. Uh, yeah. When we were doing the burn chant, the iPhone was still almost ten years away. So yeah. no, there's not any video no, or no. YouTube content of us <laughs> doing oh, yeah. the burn chant. And I by recorded the- that on my cell phone. No, yes, no, 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 <laughs> no. no, no. V- video yeah. recorders back then were not things that you carried into stadiums, uh, and you didn't have a cell phone or anything like that. So no, there, no. And by the way, it's the easiest chant in the world. It's literally just everybody yelling the fr- the word burn yeah. repeatedly over to a drum beat at whatever pace you feel is appropriate for that moment of the game but i would tell you it was the 
one chant outside of the Dallas one half of the stadium saying Dallas, one half of the stadium saying burn. Yeah. But if you wanted to get the entire Cotton Bowl into doing a chant, just start doing burn <laughs> and everybody got into it. And if the game was intense and there was a good crowd on that particular day, it actually was a pretty cool atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, especially if it wasn't 114. I was thinking about the idea of there being video available. I was like, dude, the broadcast <laughs> of the game was 4x3, 420p yes. over the air on your little square. To, yeah, video of the game. <laughs> and here I am fussing yeah. about 1080p and not 4K. It, yeah, it was when we were... <laughs> this league launched pre-high def television. I know. High def television did not exist at that time. <laughs> Yeah, no, everything was square. <laughs> there was no wide screens. There were no vertical phones. Phones were like cell phones were like these big, huge brick cell phones. There were no cell phones. Well, I guess there were they, cell phones. Those that big, huge ones. Yeah, that's had. right. Yeah, no, it was funny when when he Hell, asked I, to I got my first email address it. that same year. That's I, how old it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he just asked if there was any video, I know yeah. he didn't no. have any clue, yeah. uh, and that's fine. It was not his fault. But man, I just stopped and laughed I mean, for a good five minutes somebody might have had their handicap no they wouldn't let you bring that into the stadiums no 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 yeah, no, no. Uh, there's no way so uh, uh <laughs> one no there's no video two it's the easiest chant in the history yeah. of supporters groups and uh you'd make this old man heart uh very happy if uh if we got to hear that this particular saturday yeah thankfully uh, the founder it. of the inferno was in our discord to explain what the chant was so <laughs> it's <yeah>. just burn <laughs> yeah, i know and yeah. you kind of say it with a venom too yeah. like you don't say it sweetly you kind of throw a little attitude into it and it gets a little intimidating and i would and hearing it in a in a packed uh toyota stadium uh, uh against the the whiz no less yeah, oh whiz. my gosh mm. what a great what a great opportunity to break out uh the burn chant the only uh, thing would be better is if ron newman was there drunk on the sideline ron's no longer with us is i know he? i shouldn't have said that he's dead yeah. Okay. One day we'll have to tell the story. Punchy Ron of, Newman. We'll have to tell the uh, classic Dallas Burn story of when Ron Newman threw water on yeah. one of the Dallas Burn players. Yeah. Uh, remember that? <laughs> no, but you can tell that story sometime. Yeah, we'll do that yeah. one day. All right. Well, yeah. Buzz, it's always great chatting with you. I do miss Dan, yeah. but this is uh, good old fashioned Pete and Buzz talking yeah. Dallas Burn yeah. stuff. We've only been doing it half our lives. <laughs> Oh my God! It's amazing, Holy isn't crap. it? Yeah, yeah. Third degree the podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. The new North Texas SC jersey is available at Soccer90. Exclusive merchandise partner NTSE Soccer90. Twenty percent off the code Third Degree. Some exclusives apply for gear at Soccer90.com, but not that one. Not the North Texas jersey. Get that. Get your FC Dallas stuff. Get your U.S. National Team stuff. All the good stuff. Soccer90.com. All right. Well, have a good week, and thank you for your uh, for for doing that, man. You're, you're welcome, and thank you for being here for 25 years with me, or plus, yeah, yeah, something like that. Well, 27 or, on the league, but you know, I didn't know you until more like 97, 98. So. Pre iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> Pre iPhone. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We'll speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree of the Podcast. Where's Dan? Third degree, the third degree nap podcast. Third degree, the third degree nap podcast. Third degree, the third degree nap podcast. Third degree, the third degree nap podcast.